This week I want to talk to us, continuing on our vein of talking about living a first-rate Christian life. And today I want to talk specifically about our faith being tested. And uh, it's important that we realize that our faith will be tested. And we want to talk about that, and we want to talk about the significance of it, and we want to talk about the outcome of it. And let me tell you right now, at the end of the story, that is, is, is that it's good. It's good. This is going to be a good message today. This is going to be an uplifting message today. This is going to be one that's going to encourage all of us today, because God is a good God, and He wants nothing but the best for us. So I want to talk this morning about, as a first-rate Christian, how do we go through some of the tests in our life? Whether we'd like to admit it or not, there are a few people that maybe don't have the perception and of a Christian perspective as we walk through these tests, and it can create a lot of confusion. It can create a lot of, a lot of problems. So the point of, the point of our, our, our discussion today is that it is a fight and I, let's admit it, it is a fight of living a first-rate Christian life as we go through the many trials and tests of various kinds that we have in our life. But here's what's important. It's not, in, it's not that as a Christian person that we can avoid some of the problems. It's not in our avoidance of the problems that makes a difference, but it's how we walk through them that makes the difference, that people see and that people see Jesus in us. We will have problems. Rest assured we will. John chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus told this to his disciples. And he says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus is directly telling the boys, guys, you're going to have some problems. But he also says, I tell you these things so that you will have peace in the midst of the problem. Not that I'm going to take them away, or not that you're going to be miraculously removed from the problems, but you will have peace through the problems. And for many people, this brings confusion and concerns because some people have expectations of once they receive Jesus in their life that their problems should be over, that life should be easy, and that when the problems come, they become discouraged and they say, well, this Christian thing doesn't work for me. It might work for you, but it doesn't work for me because I have all these problems. Here I've given my life to Jesus, and all I have is problems. What good is it? I didn't have these problems before. And I don't need Jesus to get myself through these problems today, so therefore, Christian, it just doesn't work for me. I'm sorry. And that's where the problem begins with so many people. So to avoid that from happening today, it's very important that we have to recognize that we're going to have trials and tests in our Christian walk. And having a trial and a test is not a negative reflection on your spirituality. It is not a weakness to be avoided. It's not something to be shameful over. And it's not a sin, and it doesn't show a sinful lifestyle. Problems are going to come to good, solid Christian people. You're not being punished by God. He's not mad at you. It's not always going to be easy, however, so be, be prepared for the struggles. And even when we know they're coming, and we're told that God gives us peace, and he gives us the ability to be, to be victorious in the problems, living with a good attitude can sometimes still be a struggle. 
I know that. I've experienced it. I'm going through it. And so are some of you here. So it's important then that we have to understand one thing of many things. But understand this, that God is in the struggle with you. He never leaves you to face the giants in your life alone. He does not abandon you. He does not desert you. Even though you may seem all by yourself, God is with you, and he never leaves you. So let me ask the question, why does it seem that way at times? Why does it seem that I just don't feel the presence of God in my life when I'm going through some of the struggles? That when I pray, that I'm praying to myself, or I'm praying in a 10-foot ceiling, and my prayers only go about 9 feet. They just don't quite even make it out of the room. Why does it feel that way sometimes? Why do I feel God closer at times than others? Well, I want you to know that you're not alone if you feel that way. The devil will try to isolate you and think, well, good Christians don't feel that way. Good Christians always have this connection with God. Good Christians always have this closeness. Well, that's not true. Because we don't live by our feelings. And our feelings come and go with our circumstances, with our happenstance. That's why we don't have a happy existence in Jesus. We have a joyful existence in Jesus. Because happiness, it relates to our happenstance or our circumstances. Joy, it comes within us, deep within us. Because as Jesus told his disciples, I come to give you peace. And that's what we, that's what we live in is the peace of God not the happiness of God. There's a difference there. Do you understand the difference? The happiness will come and go. The peace can be there in the midst of the storm. And that's a good thing. So today we're going to talk about how we as first-rate Christians make it through the tough times. And this is where we are separated from the world. And for those that would call themselves Christians but really aren't living in the power of the Holy Spirit, in that they see the problems as major stumbling blocks and they can't get over them and they're struggling with them and they struggle with God and they give up on God. Bad mistake. Don't give up on God. The first thing that I think we must do is that we must stop thinking that we have to understand God and why he does things or at least allows them to happen in my life and to the world around us. That we have to stop thinking that we can understand God. We, we sung about it this morning in Indescribable. How in the world can we ever get our little mind that's six inches thick around a God that created the universe that is immeasurable? We, we can't do it. You just can't do it. So stop trying. That, that effort of trying to think you have to understand God is a lie from the devil. Just understand that. So stop thinking that we have to understand it. Because we never will. This so-called need to understand God and his ways have become stumbling blocks for so many people in their Christian growth. That they just can't quite figure it out. And they think they have to. Well, let me take the pressure off you. You don't have to figure it out. You don't have to figure out God. What you do is understand that God is God. And let him be God. How can we love and serve a God that does things differently than the way we would? 
is another question that we ask ourselves. How can we do this? this? And this question haunts us and badgers us in our faith walk with God. Why would a loving God allow such bad things to happen to us personally and in the world? In the book written by Francis Chan that it's entitled Erasing Hell, which is an interesting title. It's much better than it sounds. <laughs> it's not, he's not, what he's doing in his book is embracing the concept, and he's supporting the concept, the biblical concept of hell. It's a very good book to read because it really brings back the reality of what hell is and the fact that it's real. But in this book, he talks about a lot of other things. And one of the things that he says, he talks about some testing, and he talks about that God is sovereign, meaning that God is in control and we're not. And he says some very good things that we need to understand today regarding the tests and trials of life that we face. And Francis says this. He says, we must come to a place where we can let God be God. We need to surrender our perceived right to determine what is just and humbly recognize that God alone gets to decide how he is going to deal with people. And this is where first-rate Christianity begins to understand that God is the ultimate authority. And as we talked a couple of weeks ago, that we must submit ourselves to God's authority. We must understand that he is in charge and we're not. And, and even though I may or may not agree with it, it may seem painful and it may not make any sense to me at the time, but I'm not in a position to question God. I must understand that. My only position is to say that, that God, you're the potter and I'm the clay. And you have the right to make me into anything you want to for your glory and purpose to be revealed. Isaiah talked, talked about this in the, in the 29th chapter of Isaiah, verses 13 through 16. He says, The Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. Therefore, once more, I will astound these people with wonder upon wonder, the wisdom of the wise will perish. The intelligence of the intelligent will vanish. Woe to those who go to great depths to hide their plans from the Lord, who do their work in darkness and think, who sees us? Who will know? You turn things upside down as if the potter were thought to be like the clay. Shall what is formed say to him who formed it, he did not make me? Can the, can the pot say to the potter, he knows nothing? See, the second-rate Christian, when problems come, they rebel against God and the testing that comes into their life. And they say, if I can't understand it or agree with it, then this isn't the God I want to serve. That's not the first-rate perspective. The first-rate Christian perspective says, I am not going to give in to that, and that I am not going to expect that I have to understand what God is allowing to happen. What, rather, we must look into the areas of our life that God is wanting to work on in us and those areas that he wants to bring new growth in. Because no matter how old we are as Christians, we can always grow more. Remember, we talked a week ago or so, that I could be 100 years old and have been a Christian for 95 of those years, and I'm still a baby. I'm still a baby in Christ because eternity is but... Is, is so much more than my 95 years on earth. So we're just babies. So we're better off then to allow God to work in our life. And so what we really should do is that we should learn to team up with God in these testing areas in our life rather than against 
him. Because the enemy is out to destroy us. The enemy is out to bring these tests for our destruction. But God is using these tests for our benefit. Understand that God is never intending to harm us, but rather he's intending to improve us. He's trying to prove our faith as genuine and true. And God always has the best in store for us, and he has the rights and he has the ability to reshape the clay because he's the potter. Isaiah 55 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So since I can never, I mean, never understand the ways and the thoughts of God, isn't it best just to understand now that and to stop fighting for control? Stop fighting for that control in our lives to say that I have to understand Isn't it better just to submit to him as my sovereign commander and say, God, whatever you want to do in my life, I give you the authority. Whatever you want to do in me, I give you the authority. Work out whatever you need to work out in my life through this trial or through this test. When I look back at the example of Job in the Old Testament and see the terrible trials that he went through, we can't help but be amazed at Job's response. We would expect to see bitterness and a lasting scar in Job's life that would never really allow him to trust God again because Job really went through it. For those that don't know the story, I encourage you to go back and read the book of Job. But Job was really tested by God. And let's see Job's response to some of the things that he went through. Job chapter 42, the first six verses. Job says, Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. The key verse is number five. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Up to this point in Job's life, Job knew God. Job was a godly man. He was a good man. Job did not deserve any of the problems that came into his life more than any other man did at that time or even today's world. Job was a godly man. In fact, he was so godly that that God pointed him out to Satan. He said, look at my son Job. He was bragging on Job. And Satan said, he's only good because you treat him well. He's only good because you've blessed him. He's only good because he has money, because he has a good family, because he's got flocks and herds and he's got the wealth and prosperity of the world. That's the only reason he's good, God. That's Satan's accusation to God against Job. But God said, no, Job is a godly man. Job is a man that will stand for me in the midst of adversity and trial. Job did not bring this on himself. He did nothing besides be a good man. But yet, look at the problems that came into his life. He lost his family. He lost his wealth. He went through terrible suffering in his body. Terrible suffering. His friends came and tried to counsel him, and all they did is heap insults and and sins against Job. But Job's response is so important. And from this, Job said, My ears had heard of you, but now, now my eyes see you. His relationship with God changed so drastically forever. 
And that's the godly response that a first-rate Christian must have as they go through the test, that we are going to be changed for the better forever. Forever. Job 23.10 says, But he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. Francis Chan says in his book one more time, he says, It's not about figuring out all the mysteries of God but embracing him and cherishing him even when he doesn't make perfect sense to us. See, we are not created to understand God. We've talked about that. Our minds were not created to understand. What we're created for is to embrace. What we're created for is a relationship. God made us to have a relationship with him. That's why he would come down in the cool of the day and walk with, the gar- with Adam and Eve in the garden because of the relationship. He did not come down to have a mental um, jostling match. They were not coming down to, to match wits. They were not coming down to explain the mysteries of the universe. They couldn't handle it. We can't handle it. But we are created for the embrace and the relationship of God. And so that's what makes us different. When we can understand that, when I can have that understanding in my life, that that submission in my life to say, Lord, I know I can't understand you, but I can embrace you even in my turmoils and my testing and my trials, and that's what I'm going to do. That's the first step in breaking through to what God wants in our life. Okay, so now we do that. Now we say that I'm giving up everything to you, and now, I, now okay, God, I, I'm, I'm submitting now. You, you win. Now, make my life easy. Take away the pain. Take away the misery. Take away the hard times of my life. Then my question now becomes, what kind of submission is that? That's not submission. What that really is, that's a conditional surrender. That's like someone that has something of value that we can give in exchange for our compliance and our surrender. But we have nothing of value to God in our own right. There is nothing in my carnal man that God wants or needs. I have no value here to to negotiate to God with. Really, it has to come down not to a conditional surrender, not to say, all right, I'll give you this and, and you give me that. That's not it. What it is is complete submission, giving it all to God, complete submission. I'm not surrendering. I'm submitting. And here's the amazing part of all this, is that here is a God that won't negotiate with us today. But yet he sent his son to die for us so that we can live forever. So he's not going to negotiate. I am not in a position of negotiation. I am not in a position of strength. I cannot negotiate with God. But God says, I don't care. I'm not into negotiation, but what I am into is giving you my son. Do you understand that? If God's not going to negotiate, why would he then give his all? See, he's not saying, I'm going to give you a part. He said, I'm giving you my all. He gave his son to die on the cross for us, that I can have life forever. Doesn't that just, that just turns my tables upside down. I'm just getting to the point where I can understand God. I'm just getting to the point where I can negotiate with him and say, okay, okay, God, I'm going to give you my life now. Now make my life easy, and I'm going to give you, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to come to church. I'm going to tithe. I'm going to be a good Christian man, so make my life easy. And God says, no. That's not part of the deal. Uh, You're not in a position of negotiation. You're in a position of, are you going to submit? I've already given you everything. I've already given you eternal life. Who are you to ask for more? 
So we just get to the point where we think we can negotiate with God, and he says, I'm changing the rules. I, I, I'm, I'm so far above you guys. I'm so far above your mental ability. I'm so far above you. Will you stop trying to figure it out, and will you just submit to me and give me what I want, and that is your life. Give me your heart. So let's go back and ask some questions. Why does God have to test us? Why? Well, because he wants to produce certain traits in our lives that can only come through testing. Romans chapter 5, verse 3 through 5 says this, Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. God is a God that builds on precept upon precept. Things build. God's a progressive worker. He progressively works in us very specific purposes. We probably don't see the purpose at the time, but as we persevere following God, He develops the character that we need, that He wants to have, and then that develops the hope that never disappoints. We see another reason given by Peter in our testings. In 1 Peter verse 1, verses 3, chapter 1, verses 3 through 7, says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation is ready to be revealed in the last time. Now what all those words for, that's just a preamble. What that's saying, Peter's saying, is that here is God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and in his great mercy, he's given us new birth. He is giving us the assurance of heaven, the assurance of, of eternal life, that nothing bad's going to happen through that, that eternal life that we're going to have. He gives us all of that as a foundation to help me prepare for what's coming in verse 6. Because verse 6 says this, in this, in all that I've given you, all the promise, all the hope that I've given you, it says, in this, greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These that have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So verse 6 gives us the punchline that will make it all worth it in the end. On that day that is coming for us, there's a day that's going to come that's going to separate us into eternity, and we're either going to go into an eternity of heaven or an eternity of hell. On our deathbed, on our day of death, when it comes for our judgment day, we will say at that point in time, as it says in the, in the contemporary English version on verse 6, on that day you will be glad even if you have to go through many trials for a while. At that day, I can look back and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the trials. Thank you for the testing that proved me genuine, that proved me worthy to come into your presence. That's what the testing's for. That's what the trials are for. They're going to come. But understand this, the good news is they're not going to last forever. They're not going to last forever. And when they come and when they're over, it proves our faith to be worth more than gold that shows us that we are worthy to be with Jesus forever. So praise God for the tests. Praise God. That's why he says rejoice in the sufferings because if this is what it takes 
then we have reason to be joyful in the test. James chapter 1, verse 12 says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So living with this understanding gives us so much peace in our enduring of the test, that God allows these tests and he allows these trials, and then he calls us blessed as we persevere through them because the result that he's looking for is the result of a first-rate Christian life. The result that he's looking for will be revealed to us as we receive the crown of everlasting life that God promises. He promises those that for us, for those that love him. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 16 and 18 says, Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Give thanks in all circumstances. Those aren't just the good circumstances. Those are the hard circumstances. Those are the circumstances that push us to the limit, that stretch us like a rubber band. Give thanks for those circumstances. See, God works through stages and levels of trials for a purpose. For a purpose. We see that testing comes in stages, and we're tested in smaller stages early, and then they, the, the test will get bigger and bigger and bigger. Just understand that. Let me give you an example. In the life of David, here David was a young boy, and he was given the test in his life of Goliath. But was that David's first test? Let's read about that. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 33 to 37. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a boy, and he has been, fighting, he has been a fighting man from his youth. But David said to Saul, and this is the purpose of all the tests in David's life, but David said to Paul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by the hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. What's so important to hear here is this. Do you think that when David was but the boy guarding his father's sheep, that he ever questioned why that bear had to come in that field in the first place? why that lion had to come. He was just doing what he was supposed to be doing. He was just taking care of his father's sheep. And all of a sudden, this lion comes out of the woods and attacks one of the sheep. The test that David passed when he rescued the sheep and then killed the lion and killed the bear, those were all tests that he had to go through to prepare him to meet Goliath. Because if he would have met Goliath first, he wouldn't have any background. He wouldn't have any proven faith that God was able to take care of him in the big problems. So here, by having the faith that was tested by, 
by David as a young boy with the lion and the bear gave him the confidence and gave him the proof that God is with me in my tests. God is not going to be defied, whether it's by a bear or a lion or a Goliath. So we now will have tests. David never would have had the courage or the preparation to go against Goliath if God wouldn't have given David the earlier tests of the bear and the lion. What about your life? Have you had the bear and the lion tests? Are you going through them now? Understand that they're for a reason and they're not to destroy you. See, if, if God didn't want David to be the godly man that he was, if David wasn't God, a man after God's own heart, that lion could have easily destroyed David when he tried to rescue the lamb. But God protected him because, David, because God, had, God said, I have something more for you, David. I have something much more for you than a lion. And he's saying the same thing to you. He's saying the same thing to me. I have much more for you than the test that you're facing today. So stay the course. Don't give up. John chapter 17, verse 15. This is a prayer that Jesus gave to his, uh, was praying for his disciples just before he was go to the, Mount, or the, the Garden of Gethsemane. And this prayer says, my prayer is not, he's praying to the Father, my prayer is not that you take them, meaning the disciples, out of the world, but you protect them from the evil one. Jesus wasn't asking God to remove the people from the trial. He wasn't asking that, so therefore I shouldn't ask that. But what he's asking the Father to do is protect them from the enemy, protect them from the evil one. As they go through the life, as they go through their testing, protect them. That's the prayer that Jesus prayed to God the Father. Therefore, that's the prayer I need to have in my life that I go and I ask God, give me your protection. Don't, I can't expect you to take me out of the problem, but I can ask you to protect me. First Peter chapter 4, 12 and 13 says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice. Here's that word again, that word, that word we don't understand necessarily, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Again, we're told to rejoice in our sufferings, in the sufferings of Christ. Does that mean then that we're going to be scourged and crucified as Jesus was? If we're going to suffer, if we're going to rejoice in the sufferings of Christ, does that mean that we're going to be crucified? Does that mean we're going to be put to death? Well, I, I hope not. <laughs> not to say that it wouldn't happen if the world goes the way it's going right now. There's, there are people that have suffered like that for Christ. But we're pretty, we're pretty protected. We're in America. We're pretty complacent here. We're pretty protected from that kind of persecution. But I'm telling you what, you will be protected or you will be persecuted as Jesus was in the way that he was abandoned, the way that he was persecuted, the way that he was ridiculed, the way he was jeered at, the way people laughed at him. When he went through that trial, they, 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 they gave him the worst punishment they could do as they rejected him as who he was. You will be rejected. If you take a stand for Jesus, kids in high school, college, men and women on the jobs at home, you will be rejected by people if you take a godly stand. You will not be politically correct. Scott prayed about it when we were in a prayer before the service at the, at the pastor's office. He said, I just feel these words. He said, we are not to be our, we're not going to be friends of the world. And we're not. 
We will, be, we will feel the rejection that Jesus felt if we are living a first-rate Christian life because we're taking a stand for something that the world doesn't agree with and the world doesn't understand. So take joyful, re- rejoice in that. That's where our example for Jesus shines the brightest is in the midst of the darkest storms, and that's where Jesus shone the brightest in the midst of his darkest hour. And we will as well. We're not to be of the world. We're to be in the world, but we're not to be of the world. As we conclude this morning, here's the last question, the last point. And here's, I think, the real crux of it all, and that is that we don't know how long this testing will last. We don't know if we're in the very beginning of the test, if we're 50% through the test, or 99.9% completed of the test. I don't know. I just know I'm in it. (laughs) But I just have to then carry on. I have no idea where I'm at in the process. I just need to hang on a little bit longer. I need to know that that God is with me through this thing, and and I just need to hang in and persevere a little longer. And then I do know that when it's over, it will be worth it. When it's over, when I can look back at it and say, wow, I made it. I made it. It's worth it. It was worth it to hang in there because whether you hang in or not, the time is still going to pass. Here's a little thing I do mentally when I work out in the morning, which I would like to do more often. But when I do, there's this elliptical machine that I get on. And, uh, and when I get on it, I determine that I'm going to go half an hour. I, ha- I have a little climber, the timer there. And I get on it, and I'm going to go half an hour. And I don't allow myself to get off until the half an hour is over. See, if, I, if I'm going to get in shape or try to, I know I have to work. My body is not going to respond to, my, to, to getting in shape unless I work hard at it. And neither will yours, by the way. So by me taking that mental perception or this mental... Uh, image of saying that when I get on the treadmill, when I get on the elliptical machine, no matter what I feel like, I'm not going to stop because there's been a lot of times that I felt like at 21 minutes I want to stop or maybe at five minutes I want to stop. But I say, no, I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to stop. And I, and I hang in there realizing that, that in a half an hour, time's going to keep on moving. Whether I'm working or not, it's going to keep on going. I don't want to regret the time. At 31 minutes, I don't, wish, I don't want to regret that and think, why didn't I stay on the treadmill? Why didn't I stay on it? I would have felt better. I would have been accomplishing my goal if I just would have stayed on it. That keeps me in my workout mentality. Our Christian life is the same way. We are in a Christian world that says we are in a fight. And I need to be determined to say, I am not going to give up. I'm not going to. Because I know that someday the test will be over. And it could be tomorrow. It could be that, it could be that soon. I don't know. But I don't want to be that moment after that's over, or the moment that it's, the time is over. My life is over. I don't want to look back on it and say, why did I give up? Why didn't I hang in there? Why didn't I trust God the way he wanted me to trust him? Why didn't I submit myself to him the way he wanted me to? 
I'm asking you the question this morning. I'm, I'm throwing that challenge out to you this morning as well. I know you're going through tests. We've heard about some of them this morning, and, and I know that we would, you're probably all going through something. My encouragement today is this. I am not condemning anybody. This is not a beat-up message. This is an encouragement message. This is to say, don't give up. Hang in there. You don't know how, You have no idea how long before it's over. And you want the crown of life when it is. That should make us stand to our feet and rejoice, God. And rejoice. That should make us jump up and down. We should have hands in the air. We should be saying, thank you, Lord, for the test. Thank you that you're allowing this to happen in my life. I'm not begrudging you over it. I'm not mad at you over it because I know that this has to happen to make you, me into what you want me to be. There's, you cannot make me the way you want me to be if you don't put me through the test. I cannot be 180 pounds if I'm not willing to work out in the morning. If I'm not willing to go through the workout, I'm going to be 210 pounds. So if I want the, the result, I have to work out. God, the result that you want... For, for my life, work me out. Don't give up on me, God, and I won't give up on you. That's the submission that we must have. That's the encouragement that I give you this morning. Don't give up. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not... <laughs> Listen to this. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. That temptation put test. He will not test you beyond what you can bear. But when you are tested, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. You can receive the crown of life and you can be the victorious victor. Forever and ever and ever. Amen. Would you stand with me? Understand that God is for you. He is allowing the hard times to come into your life for your benefit. And He will not abandon you in the process. Give in to Him this morning and submit yourself to Him in the midst of your trial. And you will be blessed. Amen. That's an encouraging word for all of us this morning. That's something we all can take to the bank. That's something we can all make deposits on because God will not abandon you in your trial, in your test. You will come forth shining more like gold than ever, pure and genuine. Amen. Jack, you have a song that we can sing? Let's sing this song that Jackie's playing this morning. And let's just praise him this morning. And let's just take it. If you have something to pray about, again, the altars are always open. We're going to sing this song. Then we're going to pray at the end. We're going to dismiss and go home. If you want prayer, more than happy to pray with you at the end of this song. In Jesus' name.
Father, we thank you. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are in the moment. But Lord, not solely, not only are you in the moment, but Father, you are long-term planning. You have planned our life, and you have made it so good for us. Help us to keep that long-term perspective in our mind. Help us to understand that benefit of long-term thinking for us as well. Lord, that yes, we may be going through hard times now, but Father, you have so much more prepared for us. And as we go to our homes today, I pray that your blessing would be upon us. Your blessing would would rest on us, Lord, that we would be first-rate Christians so that people would see us going through the problems we're going through and say, there's a Christian. There is a Christian man and a Christian woman. I don't understand how they're doing it. I don't know how they're doing it, but I know that they're Christians because they see Jesus come through in the midst of the darkness. That's our, pri- that's our cry. I pray that it be fulfilled in all of our lives now in Jesus' name. Bless us as we go. We give you glory and praise in Jesus' name.